0: We're talking about pilgrimages today on Let Me Be Frank. Bishop Caggiano is gonna tell us about the importance of going on pilgrimage, what actually constitutes a pilgrimage, and some stories of his experience on pilgrimage. Uh, In the second segment, we talk about St. John Vianney and Maximilian Kolbe and the priesthood. So keep your radio locked in on 1350 AM or listen on your phone using the Veritas mobile app. If you don't have the app, You can go get it if you go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities. The reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit foundationsinfaith.org. Alright so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Good morning Steve. Morning Excellency, great to see you.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you too. I mean, as the summer, my gosh, is coming cl-
0: quickly to an end. Kinda it's scary, yeah, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. been it's been so eventful, and it has flown by. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I would like a
1: quieter, slower summer. <laughs> Neither of which I have gotten, or probably, perhaps, will ever get. So I mean, it just is what it is. Accept reality and keep
0: going. That's but, right. That's that's childhood. I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. all gone. That's for sure.
0: You know, but but we can find ways to to slow down and recharge, and that's the mm-hmm. focus of of our first segment today, uh, because, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I thought of it because um, Rula and I were recently uh, we attended a small event where we learned a little bit about the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and that got me thinking about pilgrimages, and so you know, it, what what a perfect thing to talk about in the summer. Maybe it's too late for this summer, but for people who can plan for next year or, or throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess I wanted to start, Excellency, with um, you know, why, why are pilgrimages important for Christians? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, first of all, we have to define what it is. And a pilgrimage is both a journey and destination, right? It's, it is taking upon oneself a journey to a religious or sacred site, that can either be of collective or cultural significance or of historic significance or of spiritual and theological significance for the express purpose of both journey and destination to strengthen one's faith, to grow in one's spiritual life, right? It's, 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 It's different from any other form of travel where the traveling is a means to an end, In this case, in a pilgrimage, the traveling is very much an integral part
0: Hmm.
1: of the entire experience. And why I made those classifications is because, for example, there are some places that have been built because of the piety or design of a cleric or a bishop or whatever. And it becomes a place of pilgrimage. That is a place where people come to be spiritually edified, to have their confession heard, celebrate mass. In my mind, that is a B level. Then there are the A level. Those are the sites where, for example, the holy mysteries of our faith occurred. When We're not talking the same class here. And then there are the places where Our Lady appeared, certainly not of the same class of a, if a bishop decides to build a church and call it a pilgrimage site, if you know what I mean. Right, yes. Very different. Yes. And... And since there's limited time and limited resources for all of us, if anybody's listening to this podcast has always said to themselves, I would love to go on pilgrimage, then my gosh, the top of the list is the Holy Land.
0: Yeah. What
1: I mean, to walk in the footsteps of the Lord or to walk in the footsteps of the apostles or to go where the places where Our Lady actually appeared. Yeah. My gosh, they're life-changing experiences. They truly are. The difficulty in our age is uh, cost Mm -hmm. and COVID, the two Cs. (laughs) Now with the resurgence of the Delta variant, there are some real trepidation. There's some real fear that we're going to take a few steps back. I hope not. I pray not. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that does not happen in our churches. But then this cost. I mean, like for yourself, you're a family, what, a five? Yes. Steve? Yes. Right, so for example, if you wanted to go to Holy Land, that's a significant amount of money. Yeah. Right? Which can be an impediment for a lot of families. Right? And that is why I think there is a value for that other type of pilgrimage. Because they are not without value. They can have tremendous value. Mm-hmm. And they are not necessarily as expensive, and can still help foster one's spiritual life or to grow in deeper relationship with the Lord. So for example, one could go to Wisconsin, one could go to Montreal, one could go to the North American Martyrs, mm-hmm. or you could actually just, there are dioceses, for example, in the Holy Years, that's, that designated particular parish pers- uh, churches as places of, of, uh, of prayer and people did day pilgrimages from their home to the place, confession, uh, mass, adoration, time, time and quiet, and come home. And there is value there, without a doubt. There's all, but all else being equal, when you're in the upper room or at Calvary, well, then that's yeah. the apex of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, of mm-hmm. course.
0: So then, then just to, um, I guess, to bring it home a little bit more, so let's say you can't travel to the Holy Land, but you want to make a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking of of mm-hmm. places that are within um, driving distance of where we are in Connecticut. So mm-hmm. let's take mm-hmm. three, for example. So we, uh, I'll say the, um, the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, and it's right. a
1: four and a half hour drive, depending on how fast you drive, five hours at the most to Washington. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend, highly recommend. That being a place where people could go, confessions are heard just about all day long. There are masses celebrated just about all day long. The grounds are beautiful, and the Rosary Garden, which we can talk about, which I had a hand in building, is magnificent. Oh I wow! Have to
0: tell you. Okay, so I want to ask you about your hand in building it, but uh, but mm-hmm. so let's take that. And let's say um, Auriesville, which you uh, uh, already brought up, the Shrine of the North American mm-hmm. Martyrs, and then let's say um, Lords in Litchfield. So those are all kind of oh, within driving I've never been in Litchfield. Okay, oh. I've never been. Okay, so it's it's just a uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how many acres it is, but it's it's a it's a replica of of the the grotto at Lords, and it's beautiful and it's peaceful and it's prayerful. Oh, but-
1: I did not know that. Oh, okay, that's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess. I guess the reason I'm bringing those three up is because you talked about almost a um, hierarchy is not the right word, but like, uh, you know, class A, class B. Would Mm -hmm. you say out of those three, let's say the Orysville would be more significant because actually saints actually walked and died there?
1: Yeah. When I say A, B or whatever, it's not so much saying that this is less significant because the truth is you could go to the tomb of, of Mother Cabrini which I believe Mother Covini right. is buried in the city. Yes. And have a transformational experience, right? Uh, they are categorized that way in my mind in their relationship to the Lord Jesus, to okay. the person of the Lord Jesus and the mysteries of faith. That's really what it comes down to. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, but, but we have a, a shrine here in our own diocese, St. Margaret's Shrine. Yes. Right on, on uh, what is it? Madison Avenue here in um, Or Park Avenue. I forget. It's one or the other here in Bridgeport um, From the office here. It's a five-minute drive and it is a beautiful prayerful quiet uh, Place of prayer where masses are celebrated every day Um, Confessions can be heard particularly if you arrange ahead of time where the grounds are kept immaculately and there are different shrines. Have you ever been?
0: Yes. Yeah, we were there. Yep. Yeah.
1: And all the different shrines and more being built to the different saints. I mean, it's a beautiful place. And, and again, you don't have to travel very far. It doesn't cost anything except the gas in your car. Mm-hmm. But you can spend the day in reflection and prayer. But going back to the Basilica in Washington, um, if you were to go to the Basilica and park in the parking lot that is adjacent to the basilica. Before you exit the parking lot, you will see that there is a garden. And in that garden, there is a beautiful statue of Our Lady of Fatima and the three visionaries. There also is a path, a rosary path, with the 20 mosaics of the 20 mysteries of the Rosary. And then there's a beautiful marble depiction of the crucifixion. And the landscaping is absolutely breathtaking. And why that is there is because in the long-term planning for the the Basilica, um, the hope would be that every pilgrim would go through that garden almost as a preparation to enter into the basilica. And more construction is underway. But I was asked to be part of the group that um, designed the garden. And I raised money for it. It was the tremendous generosity of a single family that gave $900,000 towards that. And it really is just a beautiful oasis in, in Washington outside the basilica. Wow. So if, you, if anyone goes to the Basilica, I would recommend they spend a little bit of time just in prayer. And the whole idea of the garden is you walk the path and you go around four times because you could start with the Joyful Mysteries. There are five stations, one in each. Then you could go to the Sorrowful. Then you could go to the um, Luminous. And then you could go to the, um, to the Glorious or however, whatever order you want to do it in.
0: Right. Yeah. And then, oh. of course,
1: in the church, it's magnificent. Yeah. Right, it's yeah. absolutely magnificent.
0: You could uh, you could spend half a day in there, and you can take kids because ki- when I took my kids and they were younger and they're not pious, but they loved it because there's so many different little side chapels and shrines, and I mean it's just a great uh, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing mm-hmm. and the crypt church you know, and there's a lot and there's a lot of um,
1: spiritual lessons to be learned there. So, for example, in the lower level of the basilica, the lower church, I think, is absolutely far more breathtaking than the upper church. Yeah. Because it's much more intimate. And and yet it's magnificently done, absolutely magnificently done. But the chapel, for those who do not know, every chapel is in honor of Our Lady under one of her titles. I forget how many there are. Steve, you may know. I, I don't me, know Over I mean, 80, 90, yeah. I mean, it's just it. Right, and each one is done in a different style. So for example, Our Lady of Lebanon, it actually appears to be a grotto or a cave. Anyway, yes. So, Our Lady of Hope. Um, I remember years ago when we were starting the project of the Rosary Garden that I stumbled on the inscription in that chapel. And I had no idea that the chapel in honor of Our Lady of Hope was donated by Bob Hope in honor of his wife, who was Catholic. And there is rumor that before Bob Hope died, he himself converted and became a Catholic. Oh, wow. But to see a testimony to the love of, to Our Lady and to the love of his wife to have put the chapel in, and of course, ironically, Our Lady of Hope, right? Bob. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it, I sat there and I just wondered to myself so you, you have the public persona, but then what's really going on behind the lats and deep within the eyes? And you could see such a testimony of faith there. Yeah. That it's, it's remarkable, it really is. And when I was in Brooklyn, Bishop Marzio led the um, the effort to put in the chapel of Our Lady of Pompeii. Okay. Right? And when you go, if, I'm, if I remember, if my geography in the, in the basilica is accurate, is correct, if I remember correctly, if you come into the basilica, it is on the left-hand side, but it is, it, I believe it was a form of sacristy and now it is the chapel. But when you walk in, it's the mosaics, it's just <sighs> breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. Beautiful, beautiful. So Truth, Beauty, and Goodness, we keep talking about Truth, that's a great pilgrimage right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: To take children, and they have a cafeteria, they have a gift shop, and of course, going to Washington, if you could afford staying overnight. There's a lot of things you could show yeah. kids and teenagers. I mean, it is the heart of, uh, it is the nation's capital, so.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and I'm telling you, when we were going through the, when again, my kids were younger, we were walking mm-hmm. through the upper church. And they were like, "Yeah, we know. We've seen churches before." When we went downstairs to all those little side chapels and the crypt, mm-hmm. that was when they were like, "Okay, don't rush. Let's just take our time and go through every one."
1: Yeah. Oh no. And and, and of course, that's the danger in a pilgrimage, that you can degenerate it into tourism. Hmm. Now I've led many pilgrimages, right for over 10 years. In fact, there's a core group of individuals who have become very much my friends who always are the core group when we start a pilgrimage. There is talk about the possibility next year, if circumstances allow, is to resurrect the pilgrimage that got canceled last year, which was to walk in the footsteps of St. Paul. Awesome. Right. Um, But you always have to keep the focus on the pilgrimage aspect because human nature can easily distract you into making it a touristic experience. Yeah. Pictures, postcards, all this stuff, which you may wish to do, but the focus is prayer, reflection, mass, the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So how about, tell us about um, uh, some of the pilgrimages you've taken in the past Over over past episodes you've talked about the Holy Land, and taking your mom mm-hmm. to Fatima. Um, but mm-hmm. let's just kind of relive and, and, and... Lords. Okay.
1: Now, you see, one, one of the most beautiful experiences that I have the privilege to be part of is to join the Order of Malta in their annual pilgrimage to Lourdes. Now, Malta, as you know, is a venerable order. It dates back... Um, my goodness... 900 years and one of its great tenets is defense of the faith works of charity particularly the sick right so therefore in our diocese the order of Malta is very strong very vibrant very committed as you know Steve and every year they charter a plane they charter an entire plane to go to Lourdes you know the last time I went, we were over 300, I forget, 350 people. It was, just, it was just, we were filled. And to be on a plane saying the rosary, you talk about a, 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 a different experience, or yeah. <laughs> well, morning prayer, or whatever. I mean, it's just amazing. Anyway, and there are malads that are chosen with nurses at, at who come um, to go into the waters of Lourdes. And I have to tell you, I, I've been to many places, right? As I mentioned before, one place I have not been to that please God I will go to is Guadalupe. Mm -hmm. Right? But the very first time I went into the grotto at Lourdes, perhaps it was Grace, perhaps it was I don't know. But there were only two other people there. So it was almost as if you were entering into the grotto all by yourself with Our Lady. I'll never forget it. Cloudy day. It was cool, almost cold. It wasn't quite raining, but it was just on the cusp of raining. And I don't recall in recent memory having such a peaceful experience. Mm. To have such a serenity of spirit as I, was, as I had sitting in that really literally outside the grotto, and of course, when I went with Lord, with uh, with Malta, many bishops come, and we all have turns celebrating mass. So I celebrated mass for the group when we celebrated anointing, and I concelebrated the mass in the grotto, and that was quite the experience. So. So I've been to Fatima a few times, Rome a number of times, Holy Land twice, and Lords, I forget how many times I've been there, maybe two or three at this point. Um, so please God, this coming April, I'll be able to join Malta to go again. Yeah, but the two that I have not been to is Knock, mm-hmm. and Guadalupe, and Knock again was on the calendar to lead a youth retreat, and that got canceled, so perhaps that may be rescheduled, and then Guadalupe. Medjugorje I've not been to, and sooner or later, please God, I will work my way there. What places have you been, Steve? Pilgrim yeah. sites.
0: I've been to, well, so Rulin and I were gonna go to Lourdes last year, but they shut it down because of COVID. COVID. Um, with with Malta. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I've been to Fatima. I went as a, as a teenager with my family. Um, and Rome. I went a few years ago with, uh, with my son and a group of teenagers and, and uh, w- one of your priests here in the diocese took us. And
1: yes, of course he did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, was, that was actually a really amazing trip. Actually, I went to Rome again once when I was a teenager with my family. But, you know, actually now that I think about it too... Rule and I took our honeymoon, we went uh, th- on a tour through the Greek islands for our honeymoon. And it oh. actually parts of it turned out to be almost a pilgrimage, because we went to see Ephesus. We Love went.: it. Yeah. Yeah, Love which, yeah, we've talked about, Excellency. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. um, that was amazing. And we also, uh, on, that, on our honeymoon, we went to see Patmos.: Oh, I've not been. Yeah, that was really beautiful. That was shorter a shorter visit than uh the Ephesus visit was because there's not as much to see. But um mm-hmm. but to stand in the cave where John was sleeping and wrote mm-hmm. the Revelation and to see the view out that he was living mm-hmm. with just mm-hmm. down the mountain of the water, it, it was uh it was pretty awesome. So, yeah. and then a lot of local stuff.
1: One place I would like to go to, and I'm not even sure geographically they know where it is anymore, is Hippo. Ah. Oh. Because of the connection to St. Augustine. Yeah. He's our patron here in the diocese. I have tremendous... I mean, Augustine is just a towering figure, my goodness. I mean, there's no way to describe it. Um, but I'm not even sure geographically people know where it is, to be honest. But yeah. Um, that, that would be like on the, on the lower end of the wish list because Our Lady always comes first. No, no offense to St. Augustine. <laughs> <laughs> he always comes first.
0: <laughs> you know, I would love to. I still haven't been to the Holy Land, Excellency, which, you know, obviously we, it's a bucket list pilgrimage. So why don't we do a very Veritas pilgrimage to Holy Land? Let's do
1: it. Huh? Yes. Yeah. It'll let's... change your life. It'll change your life.
0: I believe it. I, I can't. I, I pray that I'm able to do it. You know, I also have talked about um, my son now, who's a, my oldest son, who's a sophomore in college, or gonna be a sophomore in college. He he was talking this summer about possibly after he graduates, taking a month, and he said, Hey, dad, do you think the family could maybe walk the Camino? <gasps> and I was like, Wow, that would be pretty awesome. But have you, have oh. you ever done that, Excellency?
1: Oh, you know, I, I, I may have mentioned this to you. I was scheduled to do it for 10 days with young people. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a documentary. Yeah. Of their experiences, um, their reflections, my reflections. They're coming to my funeral when it was over. day okay. <laughs> It was going to be a documentary. <laughs> okay. uh, but then, then I was transferred to Bridgeport. Okay. So that never went through. So the answer to that is no. And I I must tell you, I would hesitate doing it now, given the shape (laughs) in which I find myself. All kidding aside. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but right now, so you could do it for a smaller period of time. Yeah. I'm not old, but an older person who's in great shape and could do it, but I am not in the best of shape. I don't do a lot of walking. I gave up the gym almost 11 years ago. So, to even do 10 days of walking at 30 miles a day. its a lot, yeah, yeah. You you really have to prepare for a good amount of months, right? At least, so you could do, you're young, your son is young, yeah, you go, take photos. I'll just pray for St. James' intercession. (laughs) (laughs) Meet you there in a cafe. (laughs) But maybe like a
0: three-day one. Yeah. Even three days is 90 miles. That's also a lot of walking. <laughs> you yeah. know, how about, um, how about the idea of going to um, Poland, Excellency? Well, World Youth Day took me to Poland. Okay. So did, you get to, did you get to do? Did oh, you,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well,
0: yes. To
1: the extent, yes. Um, some of the sites related to John Paul, we went to. I, we've talked about going to Auschwitz, we went there, mm-hmm. which was quite the uh, a d- very different type of pilgrimage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but even in those places, with the profound evil, they're very instructive. Right? Yeah. There is very little possibility you want to be a tourist there. If I were to go back to Poland, I would go back to Auschwitz because we could not get into the room of Maximilian Kolbe, who mm. we will talk about in a right. second segment. Yes. Yeah, that was not the case. So I've been to Poland. Um, so, uh, is there any others? I wonder. I'm sure there are other sites. There must be many sites. Huh? I mean, the largest Christian church in the world, the largest Catholic church in the world. Is in Africa, if I'm not mistaken. It's in the Ivory Coast. Yeah, it's dedicated to Our lady. It's larger than Saint Peter's. Wow, mm-hmm.
0: wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. We'll have. I'll have mm-hmm. to look it up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I stumbled on it when. It, in fact, the president. It was the president of the country that built it, and I believe John Paul was pope, and and he he did not visit it. I don't think but he, he imparted his apostolic blessing for its dedication. Someone from Rome went for the dedication. But from what I recall, it is, it is physically bigger footprint than St. Peter's Basilica.
0: That's, that's amazing, because St. Peter's is huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: St. So, Peter's is proportionally perfect, too, as we've talked about. So that's the other thing. It's deceiving because when you walk in, you don't realize how big it is. Yes. And again, you go to St. Peter's not for the, well, the church is beautiful. You go there for the tomb.
0: St. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about pilgrimage. We didn't talk about Rome, but we talked about it many times uh, over the past couple years. So, Excellency, let me let, let me take a break here. Um, uh And then when we come back, we'll shift gears and we'll talk about the priesthood. Mm -hmm. So, you're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We will be right back. Catholic radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, So we've talked about pilgrimage, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the priesthood because last week, Excellency, we just uh, celebrated the feast of St. John Vianney, who is the model for parish
1: priests. Yes. And patron saint of parish priests. Yes. Mm-hmm. And a very interesting life. Um, in fact, again, for I was aware of much of it uh, in preparation for our time together, diving further into his life. There are things that I myself learned, which I thought was quite fascinating about him, which I did not know. All right. But he is the patron saint of parish priests. So the very first question we have to ask ourselves is, all right, what... what is the charism of a parish priest. Because you can have diocesan priests and you can have religious priests. And if you're a religious priest, then you have the charism of your religious order based on the charism of your founder. Right. So what's the charism of a parish priest? It's a very interesting question. It's not that easy to answer, believe it or not. And yet the diocesan priesthood is the backbone of the Church in all our parishes, in the vast, vast majority of our parishes. And I think John Vianney illustrates one way to answer the question. Not the only way, but one way to answer the question. Because to understand John Vianney, you have to understand the reign of terror in the French Revolution and the terrible harm it did to the Church. It was Napoleon that restored the Church. But before that, their goal was to eliminate the church. So they prosecuted priests, priests went into hiding, they closed monasteries, they shuttered parishes, the homeland yards, crazy stuff. And John Vianney was born and raised at the tail end of the reign of terror. So for example, his parents took John Vianney into the fields far distant into the fields, in barns where there was no outdoor light or in homes where all of the windows were covered over for priests who were in the underground to celebrate Sunday Mass. And his parents would continue to tell John Biani that that's heroic holiness. Those are the heroes. Those are the real heroes, not the military, not the reign of terror. Right. They're the real heroes. And I think that helped form his faith and the zeal that John Bianni had. But he was not very bright. Right? And ironically, of all the studies he, he struggled with, it was Latin above all others that he had a terrible time with. Now, in those days, if you could not be fluent, at least rudimentarily in Latin, then how would you celebrate the sacraments? How would you celebrate Mass? How would you? I mean, you couldn't. When he became older, another thing I did not know until I did the research, he was a draft dodger, John Vianney. Did you know that?
0: I did not know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, because he was drafted to be part of the, well, the, uh, I'm going to say the military apparatus that was doing this reign of terror. And so he, he ran. He ran. He took on an alias name. He was 14 months, um, I was gonna say on the run, but he was 14 months in the distant fields, okay? Where in the winter in particular, no one was gonna find them, but they gathered together. And they weren't like, you know, the 1960s, no. They gathered together and they were men of faith. They prayed together. Right? They, they did theological reflections because he wanted to be a priest. Many of them wanted to be priests. So it, it, it's, it's a very particular type of deserting. And when amnesty was given and he returned, he went into the seminary. And it was a fight for this man, a fight, a fight to get ordained. Interesting also, I did not know, John Vianney was third order Franciscan. So the humility that the man had, all right, the attention to the poor, simplicity of life, mortification of his life, have a lot of echoes of St. Francis. Okay. He was ordained. He went to a town. Okay. The name of the town was Steve? Ours. Ours. A couple of hundred people lived there. Right. Spiritually, a disaster. Most of France was a disaster because of all the harm that was done, the secularization that was done. It was a disaster. So therefore, how do you revive a place that's spiritually a mess? And what does John Vianney do? John Vianney, first and foremost, offers a priestly life, witness of holiness. Simplicity, mortification, honesty, teach, preaching the truth, He makes himself available not only for the celebration of Mass but for the celebration of the the Sacrament of Confession so that those who go to Mass could actually come forward to receive Holy Communion. You know, you've heard the stories. He would spend 16 hours in the confessional in the summer, 10, 12 hours in the winter with no heat, mind you. So we're not talking a pleasant experience. And he also had as a third element, a great devotion to Our Lady who we've talked about many times. I need not explain that any further. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. So, towards the end of his time as this parish priest um, in ours, they would have 20,000 pilgrims come in a year. All right, so you would double the size of the village in any given day. Now, let's think about that for a second, of pilgrims. Many of whom wanted to go to confession. And they would stand online line for hours and hours and hours. Who is that echo? Who does that remind you of, Steve? Uh, In more contemporary times. I would say Padre Pio. Exactly. 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 Now... I had, I, maybe I knew this and I had forgotten it because, you know, I'm forgetting more and more stuff, I suppose. But when I did the, the reading, it just struck me that for a priest to live this way, to extend yourself, to empty yourself, is a tremendous personal sacrifice, a dying to self. And there's a part of all of us that longs for a quieter, simple life. So John Vianney, not once, not twice, not three times, four times, four times, tried to abandon his ministry and run away. Four times in his life. For a quiet life of just prayer and reflection, almost to be like a monk. And I'm not sure how he came back. I'm sure before it even got to the bishop, the people got him back. In other words, the people wouldn't let him go. Because they knew the real deal. They knew, they knew. This is a priest with the heart of Jesus. In fact, his heart isn't corrupt. It came to our diocese, remember? Yes, I do. I do remember that. A few years ago?
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So what is John Vianney's image? John Vianney's image is... The way I would characterize it is you go back to the basics. All right? Personal holiness and return to those instruments God has given us to put His people in contact right, with His life. Penance, confession, all right? Uh, spiritual counsel, most especially the sacraments, most especially the sacrifice of the Mass. So a man who ostensibly did not have a tremendous amount of gifts and talents to transform the whole
0: church. Yeah. And and hundreds of years later is still held up as the as the model mm-hmm. for parish priests. Mm-hmm. So, it's often at least for me it is it's it's sometimes it's hard to relate to saints because they're so holy. You know, John Vianney ate one potato a day and slept on a mattress on the floor and physically fought with the devil and it's just, it's, what, so I guess the, the practical lessons that you can put into place, at least for priests, you just said, personal holiness, you know, working on yourself, but also focus on the sacraments. Right, and, and, and yeah, it, that, what, to
1: do and offer whatever it takes to help foster that encounter between your people and the Lord and to sustain and nurture that relationship. Yeah. Right. You know, the interesting thing, Steve, is John Vianney has a very clear image of what priesthood is like, parish priesthood. But there are other ways to live priesthood as well. Right. And it is never this or that. It's always this and that. Yes. Right? So there are also... Tremendous priests who are teachers, right? University teachers or theologians who have profound impact on the life of the church, but did not spend sixteen hours in the confessional. Of course, they heard confessions, celebrated right right. asked, right? So that's another way to live priesthood. Or you have the great founding priests of orders, or movements, or ecclesial, you know, uh, communities. So it's always a mistake to say this is the only way you could live. That's not the case. Right. There are elements in priesthood that should be true and personal holiness in every priest and bishop, without a doubt. But then, given gifts and talents, there are different ways to add up to the great mystery that we're contributing to in the mystical body of Christ.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, How about, um, how about for for people like me, lay people, what, Specifically, do you think I should look at John Vianney's life and say, "You know what? I, you know, here's what I can apply from that." Well, um, read what he wrote and preached for one,
1: and follow his example. Because I think, in the end, whether you have the privilege of being in the company of good bishops or mediocre bishops, or worse, or good priests, or mediocre bishops, or worse. There is no impediment for you and every member of the church to seek radical personal holiness. There's no impediment. Yeah. Right. The tools are there to do that. So, I think one of the lessons from John Vianney is everything is built on, your pers- on that pursuit, on that, because that roots you in your relationship with the Lord. So, that is why John Vianney was able to sustain what he did. That's why he could only, eat, uh, let's say, as you mentioned, one potato and still have energy to do what he did, because it was the Holy Spirit working in him. So, whether you're a priest or a religious or a layperson, I think we share that, remember I told you, that's the dynamite of Vatican II about four or five weeks ago when we spoke about it. It's the universal radical call to holiness. Yes. The John Vianney shows very clearly that we need to live this way. And then you have to pray, please God, that you'll have priests to whom you can turn who will nurture you as a good spiritual father, lead you to the sacraments and offer them to you, your family, our people. Right, And be able to be there in times of confusion and doubt, almost as a spiritual director, which is what a spiritual father is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because, um, as you alluded to just now, Excellency, Lumen Gentium said that we're all, we all inherit a priesthood through our baptism, right? It's a different kind of priesthood. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Because we all, in some way, shape, or form, offer the sacrifices of our lives to the sacrifice of Christ. But that is qualitatively different than in ministerial priesthood yes. being configured to Christ the priest and to be the agent of that action on behalf of God's people. It's, it's qualitatively different. But the dynamic is rooted in the same. Right? So if a priest okay is not offering his life in service to his people, then I'm not exactly sure what spiritual benefit celebrating Mass will have for him personally when he enters into the mystery and has the privilege to, in an unbloody way, represent the sacrifice of Christ, his passion and death and resurrection to his people.
0: Yeah. Mass. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And you said that there's, there's lots of different ways that the priesthood can mm-hmm. manifest itself. And so we, J- John Vianney was one. Maximilian Kolbe mm-hmm. was another.
1: Now, Maximilian Kolbe is without a doubt, my goodness gracious, I right, talk about a totally different context. <laughs> well, first of all, let's state the obvious. He's Polish, as you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he is famous for exchanging his life at 47 years old in Auschwitz in the concentration camp for a Jewish man who is both husband and father yes now interesting he is a franciscan tremendous devotion to our lady john paul called him a martyr of charity Now, we're we're going to come back to that in a second, all right? But talk about a brilliant man, a doctorate in philosophy, and a doctorate in theology, both, both,
0: Wow.
1: okay? And because of his great devotion to Our Lady, which he wanted to instill in in the Franciscan order, right, even more so, Um, he started a radio station, started a magazine, started a newspaper. I mean, you talk about communication. He was yes. the communicator, right, in his own time.
0: Yeah. Right? Yep.
1: And is it not true that he claimed – are you familiar with the story about a vision that he had with Our Lady when he was young? When he was a kid, yeah. yeah do what you, a t- story. Tell us the story, Steve. Do you know the story?
0: I do. I, I, if, I f- if I forget things, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, Excellency, fill, fill it in. But when he was a child – um, Our Lady appeared to him in a dream, and she was holding mm-hmm. um, a white crown and a red crown mm-hmm. and she said she basically said, pick one of these will will you take one of these and the uh, The white one was for purity and the red one was for martyrdom mm-hmm. and uh and when he was a kid, and he said um i 'll take both mm-hmm. and and he got both <laughs>
1: Exactly. Right. By the way, Maximilian is not his baptismal name. It's his religious name, right? Um, He entered uh, the order with his brother. I think his elder brother also joined at the same time he did. Now, interesting events. You know, you look back at your life. I look back at my life. There are events that happened that, you know, kind of moved the direction of your life in a very certain way. So, What you described as this vision, I think it was 12 or 14 years old, certainly. The other thing that happened in his life was that his father was hanged. I didn't know that. Yes, because he fought against the Russians. Because again, at the time, it was trying to free Poland because it was being oppressed which led to, you know, I'm sure led to a great um, moment of suffering and discernment for Maximilian Kolbe. But anyway, so he died in 1941. Um, And the story is that in Auschwitz, a Jewish man escaped the concentration camp. And the punishment for the camp was that 10 men would be in a bunker and would starve to death. And one man screamed out, I'm a father, my children, and Maximilian Kolbe agreed to take his place. Yeah. And two weeks later, all of them were dead, but Maximilian Kolbe. And at that point, they poisoned him. And I forget what poison they gave him, but they poisoned him.
0: Yeah, it was some kind of injection. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember mm-hmm. off the top of my head. But he led them, Excellency, in that, mm-hmm. in that cell, in prayer and singing. Without so, a
1: doubt. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And he himself willingly gave himself over to yeah. die. So now, the controversy, if there is a controversy around Maximilian Kolbe is, did he die because of hostility to the faith. Okay. And John Paul said he is a martyr to charity, that, and even Benedict said that the, opposite, the Nazi opposition to all religion, but particularly to Christianity, was motivated out of a hatred for that, as they had a profound hatred for the Jewish faith who is our elders in mm-hmm. faith, right? Mm-hmm. So, so all those who died who were religious figures, all those who were rabbis, all those who were priests, all those died right, because of their faith. Yeah. And in his case, it was for hatred for who he was and what he represented. So it would fit the category of being a martyr. Yeah, And even though there are miracles, that Maximilian Kolbe through his incision, right? So he would have been a saint either way, but the point is his martyrdom, his gift of his own life for the sake of a Jewish man he didn't know, that was quite, that's that's the heart of the living lesson of his life for us, right?
0: Yeah, because Mm -hmm. he also did, when he stepped forward and said, I'll take that man's place, they said, the guard said, who are you? And he said, I'm a Catholic priest. He identified Mm -hmm. himself, so. did you hear, Excellency, that the man whose life he saved uh, was at... Survived. And he Survived. Was at, yeah, and he was at his, um, his yes. canonization.
1: Yes. <laughs> Imagine, no different, no different than Maria Goretti's canonization. Right. Was not her rapist, mm-hmm. her attempted rapist in the crowd? Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, sitting next to her mother. Yes. Because he came to faith. Yeah, Remarkable. It's absolutely yes. remarkable. Remarkable. You know, I, um, we watch these things. You know, you watch the movies. You watch um, the documentaries. But they can't do justice for what the experience must have been like for the Jews that went into captivity and were slaughtered by just sheer hatred, and um, all the those who supported them, and those because of whatever reason were imprisoned. I mean, you talk about unspeakable evil, but it really honestly is hard for me even to comprehend people doing that
0: yeah.
1: to other people. I mean, children, but you got to, but I mean, it's more than depraved, it's, it's, it, it borders on the insane. And yet in that, you see these stories of light and faith that shine through that no matter what the Nazis wanted to do, they could not stop this, right? This story survives, this example survives, the light and the darkness, forget it. They couldn't, nobody can. Yeah. Nobody can.
0: Yeah, amen. Mm-hmm. Both men, John Vianney and Maximilian Kolbe. I mean, just psst, if you don't already love the priests in your life, mm-hmm. I mean, just think about. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but pray for your priests and love your priests. Well, They're,
1: and for your bishops, remember.
0: Yes. Pray for your bishops yep. too. That we could,
1: somewhat in our lives, mimic the heroic holiness of these men. Right. But part of the difficulty that we are in is that there are bishops and priests who don't. And because they don't, we have the difficulties we have. Yeah. So the bottom line is, people are seeking the renewal of the church. We've talked about this over and over again. And they do it in the strangest ways, militancy on social media, which is fruitless. Fruitless. Okay. In the largest game of history, no one will remember it. It will become, it will be forgotten, all of that. Yeah. But what is not forgotten? Heroic holiness of the lady, the religious, priests, bishops, cardinals, pope, the whole nine yards. That's what will not be forgotten. That yeah. is what
0: will change the church. Yep. Okay, enough of the homily. Yep. The is over. Let's yeah. stand for the creed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just want to say, because John St. John Vianney had a quote and I hope I don't mangle it. Um, but, but the the parts that I remember are, he said, you know, who brought you the Eucharist and put the Eucharist in the tabernacle? It's the priest. And who welcomed your soul at the beginning of your life? The priest. And who helps your soul grow? And who prepares your soul at the end of your life? Mm -hmm. It's the priest. And so, I don't know, just, I, I, I just implore all of my fellow lay people to, pray for our priests and and for our bishops. So, uh, I guess that's it. Don't forget the bishops, please. (laughs) (laughs) With that, let's take one more break, Excellency. We'll be back with uh, with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We will be right back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. So, Excellency, this question did not come in via email, but it was actually spoken to me. Uh, And so... Uh, and so I'll pass it along, and, and it's a, a great question, I think. So the person asked me to ask you, mm-hmm. do you have a council of advisors or you know some sort of equivalent to a president's cabinet to help you with the governance of the diocese?
1: And the answer is yes, many actually. Some are required and some I've created. But we have a diocesan finance council, which is basically composed of lay people, who advise on all the financial questions of the diocese and need to approve the diocesan budget, because without their approval, I can't go forward with the budget. There's a diocesan pastoral council of lay individuals who help me with the pastoral life of the of the um, of the diocese. There's a presbyteral council and a college of consultors that are required in the law, and of course, presbyteral council are priests, some chosen, some elected, who speak back to all the issues involving their own personal lives, their ministry, the lives of the diocese, the lives of their parishes. The college is drawn out of the Presbyteral Council and for any act of extraordinary administration, I need their approval, not just their advice, because if they do not approve, it does not happen. So there are, and then I have a cabinet in the Chancery with the heads of a lot of offices where I meet every week to talk over many different things and issues. So, yeah, there's lots of consultation going In fact, sometimes people think I consult too much. Well, of course, the people who think I consult too much is they want things to happen faster.
0: Yeah.
1: And the ones who don't think I consult enough are the ones that when I make a decision, it doesn't agree with their decision. So, I mean, <laughs> you lose both ways. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my. <laughs> well, anyway. You can't always make everybody happy.
1: Oh, God, no. As long as you make the Lord happy, everybody yeah. else can get in line.
0: Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Okay. So if you're listening <laughs> and you have a question for for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media. You can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com, or you can just grab me and ask me, like this week's. Uh, Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So as Veritas Catholic Network. We'll also take your suggestions uh, for topics of future shows if you have something you'd really like to hear Bishop Frank talk about.
1: I would love to hear that. Yep.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. And and just a quick big thank you to Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thanks for another great week. Uh, and I would, before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely.
1: In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. To the intercession of St. John Vianney, St. Maximilian Kolbe, and the countless saints who have inspired us and continue to lead us through their prayerful intercession, grant us the gift of the Holy Spirit, O Lord, that we may strive for the same holiness in our lives, for our own salvation, and to bring our sisters and brothers to faith in your Son. Bless the remainder of this day and the work we offer to you. For we make our prayer in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Excellency. I'll
1: see you next week. Yes. All the best. Ciao.